Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. The topic is banking today, and we're talking with John McQueenie, Jr., co-president and co-CEO of NJ Bankers. John, thanks so much for joining me today. You're welcome, Tom. Pleasure to be with you. Just to start out and offer some context, maybe you could tell us a little bit about NJ Bankers, your role there, and then the group's membership and its mission. Yeah, New Jersey Bankers Association is a uh, trade association representing the uh, the banks in New Jersey. Uh, we recently uh, merged the New Jersey Bankers Association with the New Jersey League of Community Bankers. That merger was completed on January 1st of this year, and our membership base now totals 118 members. It's a diverse membership base. We have both large and uh, institutions as well as community banks. Uh, they represent uh, the different geographic regions of the state, and we also have different charters. We have mutual institutions as well as publicly traded institutions. Uh, we've been around for over 100 years, and our mission is to uh, help serve the New Jersey banks by providing services in the area of advocacy, education, member solutions, and networking opportunities. Well, you really do have a cross-section of the banking industry there, don't you? Yeah, we really do. Uh, bringing the two groups together uh, earlier this year uh, was a terrific way of uniting the industry here in New Jersey, which we felt it was the right thing to do and the right time to do it. Now, what do you find to be the issues that are currently of the greatest concern to the association members? And maybe some of those are more concerned to the larger institutions or some to the, to the more community ones. But where do you find the, the biggest issues to be? Well, certainly an issue that's of concern to everybody right now is the economy. And uh, that impacts our banks, whether they be large or small, in terms of how their clients are being impacted. And uh, we're all looking forward to uh, the economy improving. We certainly hope later this year as we head into 2010. I think by and large the banking industry here in New Jersey has fared well during these difficult economic times. Uh, our member banks still have uh, sound balance sheets and the asset quality, their loan quality is, is still good, but no one is immune from it and uh, it is having an impact on loan demand and it's having an impact on their earnings. So uh, the longer the recession continues, the more of a challenge it will be. In addition to the economy, uh, the banking industry in particular, I think right now is very focused on the fact that we have a uh, new administration in Washington and a newly elected Congress. And both in Washington and in Trenton, there's a lot of uh, consideration being given to uh, new regulations, uh, new legislation regarding the financial services industry. So we are, are not opposed to trying to work with our elected officials and our regulators to try and improve the uh, oversight of the industry, but we are concerned that the pendulum may swing too far back and we put rules in place that may actually hamper the ability of banks to do business and to serve their customers. Well, you make a good point there, John, because as we know, in a democratic administration, you, you tend to see more regulation, and I think especially after the year that we all just withstood. What kind of changes do you anticipate from the new administration? Well, uh, 
I think it may take a little bit of time, but uh, over the mid to uh, longer term here, sometime during the course of this year, we do anticipate some recommendations as to how to overhaul the regulatory system that uh, financial services is currently being governed by. Uh, you know, today we have uh, the FDIC, we have uh, the Office of the Control of the Currency, we have the Federal Reserve Banks, we have the Office of Thrift Supervision, we also have state, state banking regulators. So you have multiple regulators and, and depending on the charter of the institution, uh, a bank may have a different regulator. So there's clearly some consideration being given to how to uh, perhaps consolidate all that to streamline it to uh, make for more consistent regulation. Uh, that would be one of the major things we see happening. And then obviously in this environment with the challenges that uh, we all face with foreclosures, uh, there, there's certainly new legislation uh, both at the state and federal level that's either been put in place or is being contemplated to try and deal with the foreclosure issue and, and how best to do that. Now one of the, the sort of pieces of fallout from the economic crunch has been customer confidence and we all see that in the industry customer confidence has, has fallen although some individual institutions still do a good job of that. How do you find that your membership is dealing with this issue of customer confidence and growing it and strengthening it? Well again, by, by and large our membership base uh, has not been impacted by a lot of the issues that you read uh, in the headlines of the newspapers or see on the news reports or on TV or cable. Uh, our members were not actively involved in doing subprime loans and other types of risky loans. So their, their financial condition for the most part is, is still sound. And I think what our members are trying to do in this environment is to get that message out to their clients and the markets they serve that that their banks are are strong and they're sound and, and they have money to lend and they're going to be here for years to come. One of the uh, changes that took place uh, in, in 08 was the FDIC increased the amount of insurance for deposit accounts from $100,000 up to $250,000 per account. So that uh, that was a significant increase and. In, for couples, married couples or couples, you could have different accounts and different names and, and go beyond the $250,000 level. So we've been very uh, intent on trying to get the message out to the public that if your money is in an FDIC-insured institution and you're in one of those accounts and uh, you're within those guidelines, you have nothing to worry about. Nobody's ever lost a penny. So. I have seen, you know, even the New Jersey Bankers Association, and when we were still two separate trade groups, the League of Community Bankers, last year we combined and we did a, a radio campaign on uh, the Millennium Network here in New Jersey, which covers, I believe, 11 different stations across the state. And we ran a series of radio spots just reinforcing the fact that our banks were safe and sound and that your money was safe and that our banks have money to lend. And we never would have contemplated recently of doing those kinds of safety and soundness advertising ads, but 
but it was needed because there is a lack of confidence and there's a lot of misinformation. So both as an industry trade group and as individual institutions, uh, you're seeing a lot of marketing along those lines. And you pick up the newspaper, even listen to the radio. All the ads are about how strong the institutions are. You know, you can have confidence in dealing with us. As, as opposed to a couple of years ago, it was more about a particular product or service. Yeah, you're exactly right. John, what do you find to be sort of the most effective ways to communicate with customers now? Well, my customers are banks. <laughs> no, I understood. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously we have a lot of different communication vehicles we use with our members. Um, as far as the banks themselves, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of communication that takes place just during the normal course of business as bankers are conducting business, whether it be with consumers or small business owners or middle market-sized companies, local governments. Um, you know, they're, they're really reaching out more, being much more proactive, staying in touch with their clients to, as we said earlier, reassure them, make sure that they are comfortable and confident in the bank. We do see increased, I believe, advertising and marketing along those lines. Uh, certainly banks use their uh, websites as a source of uh, communicating with their clients. Many uh, many consumers nowadays, small businesses, are using online banking services. So when they go to the website to conduct their daily business, they're being uh, met with messages from their bank that the bank wants them to see. Um, and more traditional things like just direct mail and, and so forth. But I think it's really uh, you know, bankers just trying to be proactive and staying in touch with their clients through a number of different you know, vehicles. John, I want to ask you about a couple of issues that have been in the news of late, and one of them certainly are the federal programs that have been devised to, to one, aid banks, and two, to buy up bad debt. Uh, what's the membership telling you in terms of the reactions to the TARP program and then to the proposal to have this bad bank that would eat up some of that bad debt? Well, with regards to the TARP program, uh, our industry did lobby in support of passing TARP when it was being considered by Congress, and we reached out to our congressional delegation and expressed our support in the concept that the uh, government buying up bad loans off the balance sheets of banks we felt was a good thing and it would free up the banks to uh, to not worry about those bad assets and, and do more direct lending. What happened is the original concept of TARP changed after it was passed by Congress, I think partly because uh, the Treasury Department discovered it was such a complicated process to determine the ownership of these assets that are on the different balance sheets and in and, and a an efficient way to buy them and what price to set to buy them. So they moved away from that to another program called the Capital Purchase Capital, I guess, Purchase Program where the government injected capital directly into banks. The concept being, you know, invest in healthy institutions to keep them sound and also to give them funds to lend. Uh, so it was a bit of a change from the original concept. As, as far as the CPP or Capital Purchase Program, there was a real divergence of opinion amongst bankers as to whether or not they wanted to participate in that program. 
We're still waiting today for the rules on how a mutual institution could participate, and that represents almost half of our membership. So, so they have not had the opportunity yet to apply for those funds, uh, and the government's in the final stages of you know, preparing the rules for how it would work for a mutual institution. For publicly traded institutions, that all took place, and the banks had to apply, I think, by this second or third week in November, and it was a mixed bag. Um, I would say a number of banks did part, you know, participate. They applied for funds. They received them, and an, and an equal number of banks, uh, maybe even more, did not uh, request the funds. If I had to give you an estimated guess, I'd say it was probably 60% did not apply and maybe 40% did. Though, and there was no right or wrong answer. I think it depended on the institution. So the banks that did apply for the funds felt that it was a good, relatively inexpensive source of capital that would help shore up their balance sheet and position them to lend money and also handle potential problems that were coming because of the soft economy. And those that didn't apply felt that their balance sheets were strong enough as it was, and they they were concerned about having the government as a partner in their institution and what additional controls that may bring in terms of compensation or dividend payouts. So it's been an interesting issue in that there's very different opinions among banks. Um, now as the program continues and Congress has approved the additional $350 billion of the original $700 billion in funding. We're waiting to see what the rules are for mutual institutions. We anticipate that uh, the, the uh, requirements uh, that the government will place on the second half of the money will be more stringent in terms of uh, limitations on compensation and dividends. And, uh, and we'll see how many banks apply. Uh, I think it's a good thing that the government is injecting capital in the banking system because we need it to be strong. But I think individual institutions are making their own decisions as to what's right or wrong for their bank as to whether they want to participate. I would say, again, it would seem now that the majority are uh, not participating, but there still are many that have. Uh, and again, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think it depends on, on the individual institution. We do hear a lot uh, lately that Congress and others are upset that banks that took the TARP money are not lending it out. And uh, that's a difficult issue because first, it's hard to track exactly where the funds go. And the banks, I believe, certainly want to make loans. That's how they make money. It's the business they're in. But we're in a slowing economy, and the demand for loans has dropped. And not all of the uh, credit that was provided you know, in the past came from the banking system. A lot of it came through Wall Street in the form of securitized products. That, that's dried up. So naturally, that source of credit is gone, and it appears to the market that there's no credit. But banks want to be cautious. You know, on the one hand, we have Congress and others saying lend the money out to stimulate the economy. On the other hand, you have the regulators coming in and examining the banks, saying you've got to raise your capital, and we're concerned about the quality of your loan portfolio, and the economy's soft, and you better be careful who you lend money to. So I think what our banks are trying to do is what they've always done. They're trying to make good, sound lending decisions and stick to their guidelines, and if it qualifies, 
they make the loan. But it certainly has been a complicated and somewhat controversial issue. Well, you, you gave great insight into it. John, let me ask you about another issue that's been in the news recently, and it sort of hits home in New Jersey. It's the Heartland Payment Systems breach. You know, It's a Princeton, New Jersey-based processing company. It's a breach that didn't happen to a bank, but it's something that very much affects the customers of banks. How do banks respond to such a breach like this? And in the member, in the association's opinion, what needs to be done to prevent these types of things in the future? Well, in terms of how the banks are responding, certainly any time there's a breach like this where there could be a potential impact on the bank's customers, uh, they're very quick to notify their customers of, of, of what's happened. Uh, if if the particular breach warrants uh, the reissuing of any credit or debit cards that the bank feels may be at risk, uh, they do that. Um, and we try to reassure customers that, um, you know, that they're protected, that they don't have any exposure, that the, uh, they're protected against those losses, uh, that the bank will cover the loss. Uh, so, again, trying to reassure our customer confidence and trust. And in some cases, when these things happen, it's obviously at a cost to the bank because they have to do additional communications. They have to uh, potentially print new cards. Um, so it's a concern that the industry has. Uh, but when it, when it occurs, we are very quick to get to our customers and reassure them. Um, you know, how to protect it going forward, we don't have control over the operations of some of these you know, organizations like a Heartland, and I think we try to work through uh, the channels that be, whether it be through the uh, different cardholder associations or MasterCard or Visa or whoever, to try and you know make sure that everybody's uh, uh, adhering to certain standards to protect data and information. But uh, these things can still happen, and and when they do happen, it doesn't necessarily mean that that uh, it always leads to fraud or identity theft, but that certainly is a risk. No, you're right. John, one last question for you. And we've talked about this some, that we're in tough economic times, and certainly banks have got limited resources in terms of the, you know, their budgets and their human resources. What advice do you offer to your members now in terms of using these limited resources and maximizing them so they can secure their systems and reassure their customers? Well, one of the uh, things that we try to do as a trade association is to connect our member banks with a lot of the different uh, companies that provide different types of products and services and solutions so that uh, we're educating them and making available to them the very best in, in solutions, whether it be for, you know, database systems or printing costs or HR solutions, human resource solutions, uh, you name it. That's one of the benefits that we try to provide our members. And we have a very significant network of what we call associate members. Uh, in our case, over 225 different companies that belong to New Jersey bankers and associate members that do provide services and do business with the banks. And they go through us, and we, we try to uh, make sure that our membership base is educated and knowledgeable. Um, just from a more general business perspective, uh, you know, we, we have very uh, 
shrewd bankers and they've been in the business uh, a reasonable period of time and um, they don't necessarily look for us to advice as to how to run their bank but having been a former banker myself I know that what most of them are focused on now is just uh, you know protecting the integrity of the bank's balance sheet uh, making sure that if they are making loans which they are that they're making good sound underwriting decisions uh, that they are managing their assets and liabilities and that they have adequate liquidity to meet the needs of their day-to-day -day business and always looking for inexpensive sources of uh, liquidity in the form of deposits or capital. It's a very competitive business right now. So I think it's basically one of those times where you stick to the basics of banking and you know you use your capital wisely, you make wise lending decisions, and uh, hopefully, uh, as we head into 2010, the economy will improve and there'll be more opportunities for the industry. Um, I do think there, there will be some winners and losers in the industry. Some institutions uh, may not uh, be able to survive some of the issues they have, and, and there are other banks that will step in and take advantage of those opportunities, and that's kind of the nature of, of business. John, you've been an excellent spokesperson. I appreciate your time and your insights today. Thank you. You're very welcome. We've been talking with John McQueenie, co-president and co-CEO of NJ Bankers. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.